Welcome to the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is uh, Ben Olson in San Francisco today. I uh, actually flew out here from Washington, D.C., and I'm in Nathan's apartment for the first time and excited to be here. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, uh, it's lovely to have you. It's nice to meet you in person. You've got your two extremely well-behaved kids uh, in the other room watching a movie. I offered them drinks and food and popsicles, and they declined all of it. It's incredible. Um, But yeah, I'm very happy that you're here, and uh, I'm especially happy because I have a cold beer in my hand while we're recording this, so it should be a good show. (laughs) Yeah, very good. So today we're going to talk about the test that just happened a few days ago, um, what we've heard about it from our students, and then go into the most common questions that people probably have at this time. Well, not the most common, but some common questions about should I cancel, um, what are the consequences of canceling, uh, what are the consequences of not canceling, and so forth. Um, and we'll go from there. So Sounds great. Yeah, Nathan, what have you heard? Um, you know, I kind of hear the same thing almost every time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Some people did great, some people think they did not so great. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that, that every time you get people who think that the games were impossible and every time you get people who think that the games were really easy, I think probably they're, they're all right. There's just some natural variation. I don't know. Have you heard anything that stands out about this test? Um, well, to echo what you're saying, it, it does seem like you always get the same sort of feedback. You know, Some thought it was really hard. Some thought it was great. Uh, but what I guess what was surprising was the number of people who seemed to comment on that last game, the fourth game, in the actual game section was, I heard weird several times. Um, my, but actually after that initial response, talking to some people who seemed to have done at least somewhat well on that game, or at least got through it, it sounds like it was strange and unfamiliar territory, but if you had a few minutes to think through it, it wasn't as bad as it probably was. I've heard this. Seen. I've heard the same. Um, my highest scoring student going into this test, um, she was a tutoring student, and she was like nailing 180s on her praxis tests, um, which you know you don't get that very often, but yeah. you get it every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. And uh, she's kicking herself because she said she had to guess on the last few questions on that game, mm-hmm. but it was like after the test was over, she sort of on the way home, you know, solved it in her head and <laughs> kind of like it clicked um, a little bit too late. So we'll see. I, I had one student claiming that it's definitely harder than the uh, Dinosaurs game from June 2009. Hmm. I said that was a bold statement and I... I, I'm, as I'm sure you are, anxious to get my hands on the test and actually see what it is. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. Well, we'll have to see. Um, I mean, there's the how difficult it is in the moment, especially if you only have five minutes, you know, and then there's how difficult it is even after you've had time to think about it. And that dinosaur game is definitely one, even if you have time to think about it, it's still tough. Yeah, um, teaching it. I always enjoy teaching it because I like to talk about how it was such a tragedy when that test came out and how everyone who took the June 2009 test ended mm-hmm. up retaking. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, these folks, 
did, though, seem to say that games one through three were fairly manageable. Yeah. So in that case, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, an overall tougher section. I thought June 2009, that was a tough section, I thought. Because game three was the dinosaurs. Yeah. And but, game four was not easy. Mm-hmm. Not super easy, anyway. Yeah. Well, I think what's actually, so I guess a good thing for a lot of people is since the fourth game was the weird one, or the hard one, it's the fourth game. So it's the one that you should be doing last anyways. Like, and that's why I think the dinosaur game is so tough is because you get hung up in that and then you don't have any time to finish the totally. fourth game even if it had been easier. Oh, it was easier than the third game, but it's still tough. So we both advocate doing the games in order. Yes. Uh, unless there's something really crazy that would make you skip out of the game. Yeah. So then if that's your strategy to do the games in order, I do think that, yeah, exactly what you're saying, which is the difficulty of a section a lot of times comes from the games being not presented in order of difficulty. Mm-hmm. So in this case, since the last game was the most difficult, I would say that the section is probably uh, on the more manageable side for yeah. most people. Yeah, and if you weren't finishing the games, it's actually going to be exactly the same as what you've always been doing. Yeah, actually, so, so really, actually, maybe this section for high scorers... Mm-hmm. Uh, might be tough because that last game is tough. But for lower scorers, if they just did the first three games in 35 minutes and didn't even get to the last game, mm-hmm. it actually might end up being an, on the easier side. Yeah, because it's gonna they're gonna make they're gonna balance out that section by making the earlier games easier, probably, possibly. U- usual, usually, yeah. yeah. And then we'll have to see about the curve. Now, this is still something that I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. at some later date, but I feel like I'm, I know I don't have any expertise, and yeah. uh, I don't know if you do, but do we know why they scale the test rather than curving the test? Uh, my, okay, I actually just have theories. Okay, I do too, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they are uh, legitimate, but and they could be based on factually inaccurate information. So... I guess we'll just raise these questions and maybe we can figure it out and then answer them later. Okay. But I'm under the impression that the scale is based on the experimental sections that have been distributed in the past. I think that's right. I think that that's what they do with the experimental sections. They use they gauge the difficulty of future tests. Yes. They build the curve using old exper- using real the sections that were just on this June test yeah. were experimental sections in the past. Yes. And so then by comparing the scores of people who are t- taking real scored sections at that time to the experimental section, then they can assign a difficulty to that experimental section. And then when they put the four sections together, then they say, we know how difficult this test is, so here's the scale that we're going to use. Before people even take the test. Before people even take the test, uh, some presumably smaller sample mm-hmm had taken that test as an experimental section. Yeah. Is that a, is that a fair assumption that it must be a smaller I don't know sample? I think it has to be. Well, well why? Because from what I understand it was Well, okay, why yeah, why it has to be. Because every student who takes the test takes five sections. Yeah. And only one of them is experimental. Yeah. So that must mean that the sample of people who did the experimental section must be one-fourth because of uh, the just necessarily they only are testing one section per every student who's taking the test. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they're building the scale off of a smaller sample of people. 
They are. Unless they, uh, see, I wonder, some, some question that's been in my mind is do they ever retest a section? Because, you know, let's say you take an experimental section and they get data on that. I thought part of the testing was to figure out whether the questions were legit. So if a couple of them were not, I wonder if they have to add in new questions and then retest that section again. Yeah. I mean, they obviously don't retest sections on the release tests. I mean, we see all of... Oh, you mean the same experimental section twice? Yeah. No, so I'm saying, like, let's say I take a test and there's an experimental section, yes. a game section. Yes. And that there's some questions in there that are flawed. That, okay. Like, people who are scoring 170 end up doing worse on than someone who's scoring 160. So then they're going to have to re... Figure, they're going to have to change that game around yeah. and then put it out there in, as an experimental section again. Yes, yes. Okay, so then for that one section, there would be a higher number of people who had taken that section. That section. But then that would mean that for all other experimental sections, there would be slightly less people who had taken yeah. that experimental section. Yeah. And it's possible that they actually, the, you're saying one-fourth. Now, now that you mentioned it, I wonder if it's even less. I wonder if they are testing like multiple experimental sections that would be my guess that they would be throwing out sections that they don't like for whatever reason, sections yeah. that they find are not, they don't correlate well with other sections. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my speculation is there, it's a, it's certainly a smaller sample than the entire population that's taking the test yeah. on in any given test administration. Yeah. And then my question is, so why the only argument that I've heard for why you would scale it instead of curve it Mm -hmm. is that, well, we don't want people to be unfairly rewarded or penalized by taking the test versus a stronger or weaker field, which is what would happen if you curved it. Well, isn't scaling still some form of a curve? Because you're, you're, you're basing it on how other people perform on that. Correct, but it's... Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't know what's inside the black box, right? We don't actually know how they're doing the experimental section. Yeah. It just seems to me that you're always being, I, I suppose that that's right. I suppose you are always still being gauged against other people who took that same section as you. Mm -hmm. But the way they're doing it, then you're doing it against a smaller, even smaller. a smaller sample. Yeah, although I wonder, see, I, uh, the reason I thought they they do this is to avoid sample bias in the sense that I think that the test takers on average who take it in October versus December are going to be a different group of people. Like in my experience, it seems like, the, I mean, I don't want to offend anybody, but the right. June test takers tend to be the type of people who are like thinking way ahead about law school, probably prepping longer. And I think may on average do better than the average core of people in December, for example. I, I can see that being possible, except for the fact that wouldn't that be like a self-correcting mechanism? If, if they went to just a pure curve, then wouldn't like the real hustlers start purposely taking the test when they think the curve is going to be weak? Um, yeah, I, the problem is I think, and I think this is like what we see Maybe I'm just going out there, but like markets, as long as there's a delay or a lack of information for some people, like that's the, the market isn't acting on perfect information everywhere. 
And so, so people are going to be gaming the system. And so maybe they're doing this very thing to just make the whole black box so obscure that no one can really game the system. And as long as they distribute those experimental sections between different months, you're not going to have you're going to have a distribution between each month. I I suppose. I mean, again, we're just purely speculating, but to me, I mean, it seems overly complicated for one. Yeah. And for two, uh, I've seen too many tests. June two thousand nine seems to be a great example of this. Yeah. Where an entire cohort of people taking the test crash and burn. And because of that game section, because that game section was so nasty, I that that like. I see an, like an entire class run up against that game section, and then you know too many of them let that game section uh, affect the, their performance on the other sections, any subsequent yeah. sections after that. Yeah. And so then a whole a whole cohort of people seem to just tank this test, and then all of a sudden everyone's retaking in October two thousand nine. Yeah. Well, I wonder how much though. Like one, even even though, like take that test for example. How bad were the other sections? Because it does seem like when you have a really hard reading comp section, the logical reasoning or the games seems easier. Yeah. And it's, and so then there, you know, I, I hear people saying a lot like, "Oh, I improved a lot in reading comp this week, but I lost ground in logical reasoning, so I ended up with the same score, only a point or two higher than what I had before." And I was hoping to make so much progress this week because I had focused on reading comp. And I wonder how much of that is, did they really lose ground there, or did that section just get harder while the reading comp got easier? And so part of their improvement in reading comp is actually something that would have happened anyway, given the fluctuation in the difficulty between the sections. But overall, the test is roughly the same difficulty. I suppose. I mean, again, I think theoretically that would sound right to me, but in practice, I just... It, it seems like it, it happens in waves where tons of people end up, uh, you know, think about a, a really a good a high scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, the games are going to be the make or break section for you for a score, right? I mean, if you and I went and took, again, like the million dollar uh, LSAT challenge, if, if we sat down and took the test tomorrow, we would walk out of there knowing whether we had scored in the high 170s slash 180, or if we had scored potentially 174 because we had run out of time on the games, or we had run across like one particular game that caused us, you know, some some hiccups and we ended up guessing on a few questions or something. Hmm. Um, So because the games fluctuate, I think the game sections fluctuate too greatly in terms of difficulty. Mm-hmm. I don't I like I don't see why that happens. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me why why they would have that be a component of the test. Mm-hmm. So then you just end up with like definitely the high scorers. I, I end up seeing them like they run across a section of games where they don't get to score perfect and then it's like, oh well don't worry about it. All you gotta do is just retake it next time. Mm-hmm. Because probably if you take three LSATs in a row I know you're going to run across a section of games that you can score perfectly on. Yeah. As, as evidenced by many perfect sections that you've turned in on your practice tests. So, I don't know, maybe the LSAC just wants to get the $175 test fee. from people. Maybe when they're short on revenue, they say, okay, we'll throw a really nasty game in there and then make a whole bunch of people retake the test. Yeah, I'm not sure why the sections vary in difficulty, and maybe part, maybe it's somewhat kind of out of their control. Like as they're writing a test, it's 
I don't see it as being as difficult in the, the game section because they're so formulaic, but when you're writing 26 logical reasoning questions or you know, predicting how people will respond to those questions, presumably the experimental section would help them clear that up and they could fine-tune it, but maybe they are saying to themselves, well, we could fine-tune it and make this much more consistent in difficulty as we have before, but then we've got to retest this section. We just don't want to spend that time and money to make these sections as consistent as possible. The downside, unfortunately, I think, is that people have strengths and weaknesses. So like, for example, in my case, I'm not, my weakest section is reading help. Um, and so what I wanna take when I take the test is I wanna test that has an easy reading help section and the other sections to be hard. Hmm. But that could be the, the case and you have no way of predicting, or you, I could go in there and take a test that has a very hard reading help section and then relatively easy game section. And for me, that's not gonna help because the, the harder game section isn't really gonna change my score as much, but a harder reading comp section could. And so depending on your, I feel like it's a little unfair in the sense that some tests play to people's strengths while others tests play to people's weaknesses. And I think what your point is about the games comes from the fact that most people's weak section is the game. So when the games gets right. hard, then a lot of them get hurt. Yes, I have, I mean, in my experience, at least half of my students, the number one weakness is always games. That, that's going to be the make or break section, I think, for most people. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I think this brings up uh, one point, which I am sure we're going to agree on, which is retaking the test is a really, really good idea if you score below your practice test average. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Definitely. different tests play to different strengths and weaknesses. So the mm -hmm. fact that you didn't do as well as you could have on your first attempt is like, well, okay, that's strike one, but you are still at bat. Yeah. Why would you stop? Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, anything else from the this uh, last test that you think is worthy of talking about? Um, no, I mean, I did hear some grumbling about the reading comp section, not nearly as much as the game, the fourth game. So maybe the reading, one of the reading comp passages may have been tough. I don't know. I have I a couple, I have a couple little items. Um, one is with the reading comprehension section, I had, uh, several students report to me that they had uh, two reading comprehension sections in the first three. Mm. So obviously one of those is experimental and doesn't count, and yeah. uh, it's not our business to be figuring out which one is experimental and which one is not because we don't want to anger the LSAC gods. <laughs> but uh, if they Google, they will find which section was experimental and which was not. Um, but uh, I had a few students say that they got rattled just because they had two reading comprehension sections in the first three and they were uh, bummed out about that. Let's yeah. say. They, they felt that that was very taxing on them. Uh, one girl said that she felt hurt because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if she meant like offended or if she meant 
like wounded, <laughs> but either way, she was hurt by the two. You know, it's like a punch. Like she took a took a right cross uh, in the early rounds. So was the so if that's if there was two in the first three, I'm assuming the first section was reading help. Is that what you're saying? I guess I did. I didn't ask for the exact specifics, but two Ooh. out of the first three being being reading comprehension. And since you've said that reading comprehension is your I, least yeah, favorite, yeah, it's my least favorite. That would be the worst way to start. Start a test with one, and then two sections later have another one. I'd be hurt. So both ways. Maybe we could offer some uh, advice for how to how to deal with that. I mean, when when that happens, how how do you deal with that? Um. Well, uh, it is what it is. So I guess dealing with section one, uh, when I open the test and it's a reading comp section, which I'm least excited about, at least what I do think is, well, I'll get it over with now. And um, I'm at the freshest point in my test. So and then I'll, you turn the page and you get another one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get another one, third section. Um, well, in some ways, again, I would try to turn it into a positive. You just got to keep turning everything back into a positive note so that you can move forward into the other sections without hurting them, right? Being yep. too negative about the previous section. So in this case, I would think, well, okay, at least one of them was experimental. I'll assume for the time being that the one that went the best was the real thing. Um, and you can always worry about which one it was later. I guess, I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to, Keep pressing forward. So it's not what I would want, but it's what you get. Yeah, I I agree that for a lot of people that's a bad break. Um, I I'm not sure how to get around it, but you know, other than to say, oh, tough it out. You're not you're not really breaking rocks. Um, think about your grandparents. I bet your grandparents. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I'm thinking about your ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> the adversities that my grandfather went through when he was coming from Oklahoma when he was 15 years old, you know, Grapes of Wrath style, yeah. um, so that he could, like, pick peaches uh, for 20 hours a day. Um, you know, that's, a, uh, that's quite a bit tougher uh, of a blow to take than getting two reading comprehension sections yeah. <laughs> in the first three on the LSAT. So I do recommend that people... Um, Remember that they are among the most fortunate people to ever uh, be on the face of the planet. Just yeah. the fact that they're taking the LSAT. Yeah. So a little sidebar here, but I actually do think it is relevant. Have you seen the Louis C.K. thing where he says everything is awesome, but nobody is happy? No, no. Okay, so you just have to Google this okay. and you're done. We'll put it in the and, show notes. Okay, good. And, and if you're listening and you hadn't seen this, you have to Google it. He's, he's with Conan. Um, and it is it is the funniest three minutes that I've seen on YouTube in I would say four years. Uh, he basically says everything is awesome, and including the miracle of flight. Yeah. And, <laughs> but all the people complain about it, who he labels as the the non-contributing nothings. <laughs> so it's, yeah, complaining about the magic of being airborne. Yeah, airborne and. Phones that can communicate, and he—he he, the reason I remembered it is because he he compares it to people who had to travel from 
New York to San Francisco, it would take, you know... <laughs> like a wagon train? Yeah, like five years, and the party would be completely different by the time you got there. They, they get stuck to, in the Rockies and have to eat each other? Yeah, <laughs> babies, and people died, and so, yeah. you know, uh, the complaints we have today are very first world problems. Yeah, we are, we are soft, aren't we? Um, the, I guess the, the one tip that I might give to people on this topic is that uh, to the extent possible, you should actually be hoping for this sort of a situation. Mm -hmm. Now, you might not realist, you might not really be hoping that you're going to get two reading comprehension sections in the first three, but to the extent that you can lie to yourself and say, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm hoping that I'm hoping we all get two reading comprehension sections in the first three mm -hmm. because I know that it's going to affect this guy to my right and this girl to my left. It's going to affect them a lot more than it's yeah. going to affect me because I'm hoping for it. Yeah. Um, that's tough and you know maybe you're not as good at lying to yourself as I am, but um, that's at least the mindset that I would be uh, taking with me on test day. The um, other thing that I wanted to talk about um, was uh, I got a couple kind of funny reports from uh, people saying that the proctors were the biggest hassle that mm, they yeah. had on test day. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at USF, apparently the proctors, uh, the proctors' cell phones went off during oh, the test. That was ridiculous. <laughs> Turn your cell phones off. Don't bring them here. <laughs> It's like the usher at the movie theater, uh, you know, <laughs> like blinding everyone with his flashlight yeah. or something. Um, so yeah, Proctor's cell phone's going off, and then one of my students reported that he had uh, a Proctor kind of creepily um, standing over his shoulder oh, weird. for like three sections of the test. Like the Proctor just decided that this was the position where he was going to park, and it would happen to be like right on top you know, of I've heard that. this uh, one guy. I've heard that happen a lot before. I think they get like some proctors, they get like a comfortable in a certain spot. It has nothing to do with that individual. Right. So if it happens to you, it's probably not. Right. Any advice in that situation? Well, just the thought that it's probably just them, like they like that spot. And it has, I think a lot of people, when they're in that position, they feel like, oh, the proctor is suspicious of me. And yeah. Um, but like when you see a cop on the street and you immediately are like worrying that you're going to get busted for yeah. <laughs> even you're not doing anything. Yeah, um, I can definitely see that. The uh, so that's good advice is just to say, hey, listen, they're not they're not looking at you. That's just yeah. where they like to stand. Yeah. Um, I also had the idea that you know there's nothing stopping you from turning to the proctor and just sort of saying, hey, you know. Um, is there, would you mind, is there anywhere else maybe that you could stand, uh, you're, you're, you're standing, standing over me is making me nervous or something like that. Yeah. I'm not saying I would actually do that in yeah. the moment, but, um, it would, I think that that would be much better than suffering for three sections. I mean, worst case, you say that to the proctor and the proctor says, no, I'm not moving, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Which I suppose could happen, but yeah. it doesn't seem very likely. I think you say that the proctor's at least going to give you another foot or something, um, mm -hmm. and most likely probably just go stand uh, somewhere completely Over somewhere else. else. Yeah. Um, I guess while I'm on that note, uh, I have heard people who have said that on test day, they there's like somebody standing next to them, or sitting next to them, who is uh, tapping their uh, foot or tapping yeah. a pencil or making noise in some other way. Yeah. Um, I guess my advice there would be uh, exactly the same in that moment, which is, 
you know, you might want to just say something immediately, like as soon as it starts bothering you, just say something. And uh, you might be, I don't know, you, you might feel like you're being a little bit rude or whatever, but it is a kind of a high stakes test. And I, I would think that the person tapping their pencil should stop that fairly quickly. So what do you, what do you say exactly? And what, because there's rules against talking, right? So, Oh, Oh, you mean, uh, rules against talking to your fellow, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. So then maybe instead of telling the person to stop the tapping, maybe it's call over the proctor and say, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, You raise your hand. You keep reading the question. You raise your hand. Hopefully the proctor comes quickly. You say, I'm sorry. Could you please ask this person to stop typing a pencil and then get back to it. Um, you know, ideally, you wouldn't even hear the person tapping the pencil yeah. because you've done so much practice. I don't know how you are, but when I take a section, I'm pretty good at tuning out the world. I'm, I'm generally, I think, just pretty good at turning up, tuning out the world, period. <laughs> um, but um, do you recommend that people, like, uh, practice in noisy environments so that they can learn to do this? Yeah, well, actually, I recommend changing it up. So I would say... Uh, I mean, we do practice tests every Saturday for that very purpose because there's definitely some people in the class who like to underline everything or whatever. And um, although people afterward want me to tell them to stop, it's also like good practice. But in terms of if you don't have somewhere to take a a live proctored exam, going to Starbucks can be good, but at the same time, it's often so much noise that I think it's easier to block it out than just like a little bit of noise. So I like to tell people to go to a public library, but not the 100% quiet zone. You know, there's like these places where you're supposed to be quiet and the librarians shush people, but they still end up yeah. talking a little bit. I think that can be really distracting. I mean, at least in San Francisco, the public libraries uh, tend to not be silent. Oh, okay. or, or so it's, it's like, like Starbucks? <laughs> yeah, it's not quite like Starbucks. <laughs> But it is, it is like that, you know, you're, you're going to get the, like, it's supposed to be quiet in here except for it's really not. Yeah. And that's, I, that's what I love, the proctored tests that I do for exactly that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's always, you know, recently there was some dude in one of my proctored tests who was uh, chomping on ice cubes, which is like the worst sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was sitting there as a proctor and I was, I was annoyed by him chomping the ice cubes and I thought yeah. about telling him no. Yeah. But then I thought, well, actually, then I kind of started chuckling because I was thinking about all the other people in the room taking the test and it was like, you know, I could um, tell this guy to stop chomping the ice cubes, but is the proctor going to really actually do that or might the proctor let something like that go? Yeah. And I came to the conclusion that it's very likely that the proctor might let something like that go. So I just so said, so much variance, I think. Yeah. Right? Proctors, oh, they go from one extreme to the other. Some of them, their cell phones are ringing, and some of them are, you know, being totally perfect by the book. So yeah, I, I do think. Um, all right, so we're in agreement for sure that sitting for proctored practice tests uh, is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Mixing up your study environment mm-hmm. is a really good idea as much as possible. Study in a lot of different places in a lot of different environments. There's some learning benefits for that as well, apparently. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Apparently you associate, like, they, this is silly, but you they have people memorize vocabulary and they had them memorize it in one room and then in another room. And those people who memorized it twice in the same room, so they both memorized it twice ended up remembering fewer words. And they, they think that's because whenever you learn something, 
you actually context take in context around you. I see. And I've noticed this actually when I'm listening to audiobooks in my car or podcast now, thanks to you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I will remember an idea from the book or podcast, and I'll remember where I was on the road. Mm. So there's definitely something going on there mm-hmm. that's like being more information is being cataloged at once than it needs to be, but apparently there's an association. I would be really curious to know in that same study where the the, with the word uh, memorization thing, I would like to know if they, when they tested the people, if they tested them in the room. Oh, they did do that. I don't remember what okay. happened. Yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, my yeah. guess would be that the people who memorized the word in the same room and then were tested in that same room would actually do better. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I seem to remember that like you do actually do perform better where you learn stuff. Yeah. Which you can't do, unfortunately. But you could take tests at the... You can go there beforehand, right? And one find of, the room or find a room. One of my room. students uh, did that. So, you know, just to give listeners an idea of what you're up against. I mean, some of you know because some of you are like this. But for those of you who are not naturally like this, it would be good to know who you're up against uh, on the day of the test. So one of my students in the week before the test, he went to the testing center every day and took a full-length practice test in that testing room, yeah. which I think in this case was at USF, but he like went and sat and did that at, at exactly 1230 on the dot and did like a full on practice test, just like how it was going to go on the day of the test. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that that is necessary mm. by any means. Yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't do anything like that yeah. on, when I took the test, yeah. but um, I'm not really a lawyer either you know by by <laughs> yeah. nature i am yeah. not a lawyer i am not the one who's going to be putting in the 80 hours mm-hmm. and uh so that's just <laughs> there are a lot of those folks out there and yeah. i guess that's one of the reasons why the lsat is a difficult test because there are people who are working their asses off i mean yeah for real i've known some people who have asked and uh, actually then done six sections. So they asked for six sections. And then they went and took them so that the five sections would seem yeah. less endurance uh, yep. or less. I have had students who have done every single released practice test twice before they sit mm-hmm. for the actual exam. Wow. That seems to be just unbelievable overkill to mm-hmm. me. But for some you know, and think about what a lawyer would do if they're trying to win a high stakes case. case. I yeah. mean, they're, that's why lawyers work nights and weekends and whatnot, <laughs> yeah. because that's the kind of competition you're up against. Um, I've also had students do two tests per day. Yeah, in the in the week uh, or in the weeks preceding the actual exam for exactly that same purpose that you're talking about, which is just to to make it seem easier. I guess it's like swinging. Th- three bats in the on-deck circle um, yeah. makes it feel like the one bat is light. Although, what's your thought on that? It seems like, to me, that would be usually, for the vast majority of people, counterproductive. Actually, it makes things worse. I think it would be, uh, but I think you know students need to really know themselves, because yeah. there are, in the LSAT world, I have encountered more than a few uh, sort of super type A folks, and... Mm-hmm. They will actually, one, they have like a leather ass and they're capable of really doing this yeah. amount of work, which yeah. I would not be able to. Um, and two, they don't get burned out. Instead, they take this as like a psychological advantage, if nothing else, going into the test. Mm-hmm. They can legitimately look left and look right and say, none of you worked harder than I did. Mm-hmm. 
um, which, you know, I, I, I can see how that would be an advantage on the day of the test. But I think you're right. For, for the vast majority of people, two tests in a day is just asking for burnout. Um, I guess I would just check in with your scores. If your scores are going down, stop. Immediately. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, that's actually, that probably is sufficient to figure out whether this is a good strategy for you or not. If you find yourself, if you do two tests in a day and the second one is like, Minus six LSAT points, then don't do that anymore. Yeah. I think if it's kind of like exercise, you can get tired. You need a break, <laughs> mental break. Yeah, and like never go back to the gym because you remember that time when you were so tired and, you know, so bored and in so much pain and you don't yeah. want to do it anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Well, all right. So anything else then about uh, the June 2014 LSAT? Well, one, one last thought, just building off of you were saying, like, strategies for coping with situations um, in which, you know, the proctor is hovering over you or you have these, like, psychological things or people are making noise, right? Yeah. One thing that came to mind is a lot of people complain about they go into a section and then they're going through it and the person next to them or people around them turn the page before they do. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. And I guess I, a couple thoughts for the actual test day. Um People are going to be taking different sections than you are. A lot of people will be okay. taking the same section, but since the experimental happens at different times, you have no idea whether they're on a game section and you're on a logical reasoning section. So yep. there's one thing. Yep. The other thing, too, is I think it's you really just have to have sort of confidence in yourself and answering the questions because the reality is if someone is turning the page, they may be turning the page precisely because they're going too fast. Exactly. And they're getting questions wrong and you're getting them right. And so... I, I don't necessarily think of that as, oh, they're finishing before I am, so they must be doing better, and they get it better than I do. That's, they could actually just be doing exactly what they should not be doing. I would go even a step further than that. I mean, I think this is really great advice. Uh, when I took my test, I definitely, when, when the proctor said go on section one, I did not go. Instead, mm, yeah. I sat there and I looked around the room, and I watched everyone frantically tearing into question number one. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that some people were bubbling in answers mm-hmm. for, you know, I wasn't cheating. I wasn't looking at their page. I could just tell that they were, they had chosen an answer for yeah. question number one. And I just sort of sat there, you know, with a smug kind of a look. And I, I, I was just thinking like, oh, you, you've, you've answered question number one, I see. Yeah. Uh, I haven't even started yet. Yeah. And um, see, the problem is that you've answered question number one, but you've almost almost certainly missed it. Yeah. And I haven't done that question yet. I'm, I'm going to get it right uh, yeah. in a minute. But first, I'm going to watch all of you sort of plummet off of the cliff to yeah. your doom because I can tell that you're so anxious. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you're getting nervous about people, you just shouldn't be paying attention to what anybody else is doing. But if yeah. they're turning the pages, yeah. well, hey, I mean, you and I both know, first night of class, I administer a proctored practice test. Yeah. If if there's 25 minutes le- uh, 25 minutes elapsed, 10 minutes left in the section, and I see that someone has finished the section, yeah. guaranteed they did terrible. Yeah, guaranteed. If you yeah. finish 10 minutes early on that first night of class, you finish 10 minutes early. It's because you missed them all. You skimmed the surface of every question. You missed them all. Yeah. Okay. So this shouldn't ever worry about anybody going faster. Than yeah. Well, I, to, I, that's actually a really interesting point you bring up because um, not only are we not worrying about going faster than other people, but you're you're talking about this whole like pause at the beginning, yeah. which I think has 
well, there's two two ideas that came to my mind. One, my LSAT instructor, I took like a class and a small class, but he, he had this funny thing that I still don't forget. He said that every time he started a reading comp passage, he closed his eyes. I thought this was silly and I never incorporated it myself, but I think it actually does have a lot of value now. He closed his eyes and he imagined a blue flame. And his purpose, and he wiggled his toes. That's what I thought was funny. <laughs> okay. But I think the value, and it's not that you need to close your eyes and view a blue flame. I'm doing it right now. Good, good. Okay. Yeah, you'll get, you'll, you'll get better at it as you, as you practice. But uh, the um, this idea of what you're talking about, and that is like pausing and clearing the mind so that you go into the question and all you're taking in is the question. And none yeah. of this junk or I've got to finish or whatever else you you bring to the table. Yeah. And so that was his way of clearing the, the field. And he did it every reading comp passage. So that, and he also, he tried to get excited. Like he's like, okay, I'm getting ready to learn about French sculpture or something. Cause you kind of see like the first <laughs> sentence, you know, Yeah. <laughs> which sometimes is not very exciting. Yeah. And the other thought I had was a lot of times I tell people to set their analog watch to noon. Okay. So that they don't have to do any math. It just goes from noon down to 35. Okay. And the, the biggest kickback I get is, uh, well, as soon as I start the section, it's, I, I don't have time to set my clock back, my analog watch back to noon. And for, for me, I feel like yeah. it takes a few seconds. Right. And I, I, I guess I feel like we're kind of missing the bigger picture here. And for me personally, I like to set it to noon because then I don't have to think about, it's always, the, the, the minute hand is always doing the same thing. Right. Now, yeah. some people don't even use watches, but for those who do... I would say just take Yeah, I, I tend to, to recommend that people don't even bring a watch or, well, obviously if you're going to do this, you need to practice without a watch. Yeah. But if you're, my advice is usually, hey, looking at the clock is not helping you to answer those questions and doing math in your head, trying to figure out how many minutes you have left per question and that kind of thing is like totally just going to distract you from answering the questions correctly. But I totally agree with the ritual of setting the analog watch back to noon mm -hmm. at the beginning of the section. I mean, mm -hmm. while the clock is ticking and while everyone else is frantically answering those questions, yeah. this little ritual of burning 10 seconds by setting your watch back to noon, mm -hmm. it, it's, I, I feel like anything to sort of distance yourself from the, the drama and distance yourself from the frantic race that everyone else is on. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I mean, my thing of looking around the room, I was really intentionally burning time mm -hmm. because I was saying it's sending a message to yourself, which is yeah. I'm ready to do this now. I do not need to rush through these questions. It's going to be perfectly fine. I'm going to answer them. You know what? If I don't get to the last question and I have to guess, who cares? Because I'm going to get 24 in a row right before I get to that 25th question and it's all going to work out mm -hmm. just perfectly fine. Yeah. So maybe we disagree cool. a little bit on the watch thing because I guess I like it. I, I definitely do not think if you're someone who has to check in with it, every question, that's going to mess you yeah. up. But the reason I like having it is that I like checking in after each game or after each reading comp passage, the whole thing, just to make sure that I'm on schedule because sometimes I get warped into like a passage or a game and maybe my sense of time like I felt like I didn't spend that much time, but I ended up spending more than I thought. And so then I'll use that. It's, it's only really helpful early on it's for me to say, oh, I took a little longer on the first 10 questions in logical reasoning than I usually do. So I need to pick it up now so I don't have to rush later. 
So I like that information, but mm -hmm. I only take select information. It's maybe I check, check the watch two times total. We can agree that if you're going to bring a watch, you need to look at it really sparingly. Mm -hmm. uh, we can agree that if you're going to bring a watch, you need to not be looking at it every single question. You mm -hmm. need to not be looking at it in the middle of questions, mm -hmm. which I've absolutely seen people do. Mm -hmm. You know, If you're looking at it in the middle of a logic game and you're trying to figure out whether you should continue with the logic game or not, that's yeah. not you, you needed to do more practice so that you can have yeah. a better idea how you're doing in this game and how you're doing in this section. And mm -hmm. The abort button, you, if you're going to push that abort button, it needs to not be because of some result that you see on the clock. It needs yeah. to be because of your gut, because you've done 30 of these sections before and you know what's, mm -hmm. you know what's up. Mm -hmm. um, my counter argument to, you know, I, I, it's, I'm, we can totally agree to disagree on this because I think yeah, it's going to yeah. be different for everybody. Yeah. Um, I just feel like it's one of the worst things that could happen is that let's say you do game one, you check the clock and you realize you're a little bit behind schedule. Mm -hmm. Well, if that makes you then start rushing through game two, that could be like the end for you yeah. at mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. And so it depends on how you respond. I guess it's a, yes. If, if, you know, I would say if you know you're prone to rushing, if you know you're prone to getting a bit frantic, then mm -hmm. that might argue even more in favor of not yeah. having the watch at all. If you're going to use it though, I mean, sure for, for the people who can use it wisely, I can see how it could be a useful tool. Yeah. Okay. So, canceling? Yeah, so now we're going to get to the big question of the day. Um, people that are in our business hear this exact same question four times a year uh, from, I don't know, what do you think, 5% of the people who take the test immediately contact you and ask whether they should cancel? Yeah. Okay. There's always some concern, right? Like, Something didn't go perfectly. Something was stressful. Has nothing to do with the difficulty of the test, I don't mm -hmm. think. Uh, has everything to do with just people thinking that they didn't do as well as they should. Yeah. Okay. So um, one of my students uh, just contacted me. She has a 169 on record, and she has been practice testing recently in the 176 to 178 range, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is obviously quite strong. I mean, yeah. many Exciting. people would kill for the 169, yeah. um, but she's already got on record. So worst case scenario, she's got the 169 on the books, um, but she had a hard time with these games. She mm -hmm. thinks that she did okay on some of the other sections, but on maybe she didn't do as great as she could have either on the reading comprehension. She acknowledges uh, that she is not very good at predict predicting her scores, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really a, quite a good exercise for students to go through. Um, I, I don't systematically do this, but I think I should start, mm. which is uh, telling my class that when they do a test, not to grade it. Th that they, the first thing they should do before yeah. they grade it, yeah. they should estimate what they think yeah. their score was. Yeah. Um, so that they can learn how terrible they are at estimating their scores. Yeah. Truth is, there's quite a bit of variability. Mm -hmm. You're going to be taking some 50-50s along the way. You might be randomly bubbling in some guesses along the way. Sometimes you get a lot of those guesses right. Sometimes you get more than one-fifth of them right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get a lot of the 50-50s right. Yeah. Sometimes it goes the other way. Yeah. But there's going to be kind of a plus or minus, and 
most people are pretty bad at gauging their score. Anyways, this student uh, comes to me saying, I really don't want to get a score worse than the score that I already have on record. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that I might have. Yeah. Should I cancel? So what do you say? So I would say no. Um, and that would be the answer to most people's concerns. Unless there was something that you knew was definitively wrong. For example, you get to the end of a section and you're on question 25 and you realize that you're bubbling into question 24 and you've been doing this the whole section. So if you've misbubbled an entire section and you didn't have time to go back and rebubble everything, that would be a, a seriously fatal problem and I would probably cancel my school. So but, that's a situation like a where... Rare. This is rare. Right. That's a situation where for at least one section of the test, yeah. you know for sure you did not... You know, you could have missed all of them because you bubbled yeah. in the entire section yeah. wrong. Another scenario would be, I had a student who, uh, terrible for her, is um, so she gets migraine headaches. And yeah. mm-hmm. she was in a testing room where the sun was <laughs> hitting her in the face and the sun triggered a migraine and she got a migraine during section three or whatever. And it was mm-hmm. like a blinding, my like literally blinding headache where she could not do section three. Yeah. And then she's asking me, should I cancel? Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is that even with her, I think I, I had to think about it for a minute. There is no such thing. I don't mm-hmm. think in my book as an automatic cancel. I, there, yeah, it's just where you, this is where you might start considering. This is right. That's <laughs> when you have the migraine headache or you miss bubble. That's when you might start considering canceling. Yeah. Okay, so we should tell everybody, we're giving the, our conclusion first. We said uh, what? Uh, we were, this is just because we said so. Right. <laughs> so uh, just like an argument on the LSAT logical reasoning where sometimes the uh, conclusion is presented first, now we will provide, I think, copious evidence for why you yep. should do it this way. Okay, so here is what I think is going to be uh, pretty copious evidence for our proposition that you should not cancel your LSAT score. Why don't you go ahead and lead off? Sure. So some of the ideas that come to my mind are, first of all, um, usually we, in the test, when something doesn't go as perfectly as we had hoped or as well as we had hoped, we don't finish a game, even though we normally finish games, for example, or we don't finish a section, even though we normally finish them. When you start adding up the questions that you might have missed, presumably you filled in some bubble anyways, um, some answer, Usually, we're not talking about as many questions as we think in the moment. So usually the problem is a lot smaller or more contained than we think. Um, Also, if something is hard and it threw you off, chances are the other sections were easier, or that's that's what seems to be the case often. And so you end up compensating for those missed points by doing better in the other sections. And so then, oddly enough, you may actually do even better on this test than you had normally. So I think there's, the first idea in my mind is that the problems are usually a lot smaller than they seem. Um, And so canceling would be silly because maybe you didn't even have a problem that you thought you did. The second thing in my mind is that just like in terms of applications, I think a lot of people are concerned about how it's going to look. And since the vast majority of schools now do not average your scores, they just take the higher score, even if the higher score was one that occurred earlier. Right. And I, so, 
Okay, so this is, I think this is probably the number one reason why you should not cancel your score, is that mm -hmm. law schools really only care about the highest score mm -hmm. that you've got on record. Now, there's some that do average. We they're, should admit that. Okay, right? they're, yeah. well, they're very, very few. Okay, but I'm not sure I believe the ones that say they average. Yeah. Well, they're not going to report the average to the ABA, so I don't even... Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, they're reporting the high score for each individual student to the yeah. ABA, and yeah. that's the same metrics that U.S. News & World Report is using when they can, because LSAT is part of the law school rankings, yeah. whatever black box that they use, law yeah. school rankings is part of that. Or, sorry, LSAT, LSAT scores is part of that, and it's high LSAT scores that's part of that. Yeah. So now, if you're Harvard, Stanford, or Yale, and you say, you know what, we're going to average your score, or mm -hmm. we're going to take first, we're going to only let you take it once, we're going to consider yeah. your first, which, by the way, they don't do. Because I had a student get into Harvard. Well, it's ridiculous, too, because they know that everyone is taking tests before they take it officially. So it's like, oh, well. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. They know that there are a zillion practice tests out there. They know that everyone has put in the effort to take those practice tests. I mean, okay. But, um, I had a student get into Harvard this last cycle who took the test three times. I had a student get yes. into Stanford this yes. last cycle yep. who took the test three times. Three times, yes. yes. So Same it's thing. like, okay, so why would, so, okay, so Harvard and Stanford apparently are not discriminating against people yeah. for taking the test multiple times. Okay, so now let's think about non-Harvard, Stanford type of school who claims that they are averaging LSAT scores when they're making their admissions decision. Mm -hmm. If they did that, wouldn't they be shooting themselves in the foot as far as law school rankings are concerned? Well, see, I think they could do two things. And I think what they would do is they would, if, they, if they're actually averaging the score, what they're doing is they're averaging the score. So you get a 160, you get a 170, they're going to take you at a 165 for consideration purposes. But then when they report to the ABA, they're going to tell the higher score. But I see what you're saying. They're shooting themselves in the foot because if they're, if they're, accept, they're looking at you as a 165, and someone else has a 168. Someone else has a 168, they and they only took the test once. With the 170. Right. Yeah. So a school that yeah, says, that's no, saying. we're going to yeah. take the 168 who took it once instead the of the person who are. took the 160 and the 170, well, that would be lowering their law school ranking. It would be very idealistic. It would be, be motivated solely by some <laughs> ideology that it's better to take the average of someone's official scores. Indeed. Yeah, and, and it could be for from, their from some like misguided, um, you know, social justice kind of a, a rationale where like, well, poor kids are only going to take the test once. So if you if you know, we don't want rich kids Which, who are going to take yeah. the test three times and then randomly get lucky. I think what they're not what they're not so recognizing nice, yeah. there is that you actually don't get lucky on the LSAT. I mean, you can. It, it's not like a good strategy is not. Mm -hmm. um, these are not lottery tickets. It's not just like, oh, I'll sit for the test three times and hopefully I'll get a good score. I mean, that's, yeah. no, no, no. You put in a lot of work mm -hmm. and then you take the test. And yeah. if you get a score that matches your practice test scores, you should probably just be done. Yeah. But if you get less than your practice test scores, then absolutely take it again because you have a good chance of getting a higher score. And most schools, mm -hmm. you said the vast majority of schools. Yeah only care about your highest score. Many, yeah. many schools, including my alma mater, UC Hastings here in San yeah. Francisco, explicitly will tell you we only care about the highest score. Mm -hmm. The ABA only cares about the highest score. Yeah. US News and World Report only cares about the highest score. Yeah. So from my perspective, even the schools that say we, we average, it yeah. would be kind of foolish for them to do that. I don't, I don't get why they would do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so I, to add to that, yeah. I would say there's another concern here about taking three tests in two years, but that is not going to come into play 
when you cancel because that test that you sat for already counts for that three Okay, so this is something that a lot of people don't understand is that if you cancel, you mm -hmm. don't get, uh, if you cancel, you do not get a redo. Uh, it doesn't, you don't get one more test <laughs> to take it. If it's, you sat for it. Now, if you are absent, I don't know if that's true. I don't know about absent. I do but know about withdraw. Taken, yeah, withdraw, definitely. Right, and you can withdraw the night before. So if you withdraw the night before and you don't sit for the test, then that does not count as one of your three attempts. But if you do sit for the test, mm -hmm. which all of the people who are asking us, should I cancel, cancel yeah. they've sat for the test. If you sit, it counts as one of your attempts anyway. Yeah. So why... What's the value? What's the value in canceling? Yeah. Um, a couple other points. One, which I think is another major point, if you cancel your score, you will not see how you did. Yes, you do and that's not what that was actually your results. What I was going to say next. The okay. same thing is that, like, even if you know that you are going to take it again, you know that you're not going to get the score you want, and so you're thinking this is going to be lower than I can do. I know I'm taking it again in three months. I would still say keep it. Because now you can learn from it. I mean, first of all, that's assuming that what you know is right. But you can learn, like you can figure out what actually happened. Look at the answers. You, unless you're taking the February LSAT, look at the sections you messed up in, and take something away from it when you go into your next test. If you even do end up taking it again, uh, absolutely. So if you cancel, you have no idea how you really did on those logic games. You have no idea whether you understood or. Or not, mm -hmm. you, you you got you got nothing. You get nothing. You get just a cancel score, and that's it. Yeah. You do not get your hundred and seventy five dollars back. Mm -hmm. You don't get your day back that you spent taking the test. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, just one other point. Yeah. Um, this doesn't apply to my student who already has a one sixty nine on record. Yeah. Um, but if if it was your first attempt, mm -hmm. or let's say you took it before and canceled, mm -hmm. you right now have no score on record. Mm -hmm. You are not getting into law school with no score on record. Yep. If you cancel, mm -hmm. you necessarily will take the test again. Or, or you will not go to law school. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you might do something which in the long run turns out to be much more satisfying. <laughs> maybe have a better life. <laughs> you should, maybe you should cancel and not go to law school. Um, okay, that's a subject for another day. I, I would love to talk about that, actually, at some point. But um, So if, if you cancel, you now have zero score on record, which means that when you take the test again, yeah. you now have no... You're, like, starting from... Zero, yeah. and except for now, you only have two more remaining attempts yeah. instead of having three remaining attempts, yeah. and you have no floor. So, mm -hmm. so from that perspective, even the person who had the migraine, mm -hmm. or even the person who misbubbled their sheet, yeah. if you have nothing on record, you have nothing on record. Yeah. If you had a migraine and you had a one section that you tanked, mm -hmm. you still might score one fifty. Yeah. 150 would possibly get you into law school in a lot of places. Yeah. So why would you why would you remove that that floor from mm -hmm. from yourself? I mean, yeah. the next time you take the test, there could be jackhammering happening across the street. Yeah. The next time you take the test, you your car might break down on the way to the test. Mm -hmm. You could be sick. Your you know, God forbid, grandparent. You could have a funeral that you have to go to. Yeah. There could be lots of life that could intervene. Why, 
why are you canceling a score that you already, you know, you, you already made the investment of time. You already made the investment of money. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you think we've beat that totally to so. death? Yeah. All I right. Think, yeah. So we're both on the side of just yeah, absolutely. I, I just can't imagine why canceling makes sense. Oh, one other thing. What do you say when, so some schools do, uh, ask you on the application mm-hmm. to uh, tell them, to explain why you got five points higher on one LSAT than you did on the other one. I don't understand that, actually. Oh, I don't understand it either. I think it's stupid, but what's... Well, I studied harder and did better. But like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to have some more coy of a... Do you have a better, like, more political... No, I mean, I, I can't imagine that failing. I, I can't imagine... I really can't, even if that's just, that's the total honest truth is like, well, the first time I sat for it, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, I didn't do as well as I knew I was capable of. Mm -hmm. So I studied for three months Mm -hmm. every day. I busted my ass and then I scored a 170. It's like, you're still, they're going to go, oh, well, this person's a 170. (laughs) I mean, they scored a 170. You don't do that by just like getting lucky. Yeah. Right. Um, it's almost more like something that you can like it's it doesn't I can't imagine what you say will really help you but maybe what you say could hurt you if you said something really stupid I I suppose although I don't even know what you could say I mean if you said you were I was drunk the first time I took it. I yeah. mean, like, that might not be... <laughs> <laughs> that, that could possibly... Or I was drunk the second time I took it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so one of those would be possibly unprofessional and not the best thing you could say. The other thing, I, I really feel like um, you could always say, I was sick. Yeah. I, I mean, okay, so it's a lie... But, I don't know, it's a business lie. Sick is a, is a vague term. You're sick uh, in the head. Uh, yeah, um, right. So, and, and for that, you know, I don't think, they are surely not going to be interested in a two-page explanation of why you did worse on one LSAT and why you did better on the other LSAT. I mean, these yeah. are busy people, right? Yeah. So, if they're asking, they're going to want two sentences, and they're going to want, all they're going to want is for you to just, like, slam the door on this issue. Yeah. So for me, a really good way to slam the door is I was sick that day. Yeah. What? They're going to ask you, I, sorry, I had diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> is that really what they want? The, the, like, they want to go You're asked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. okay. So, um, <laughs> right. I think that's uh, probably pretty much it. I think it's so silly, too, because so many things have happened. And if you think about all the people who are taking the LSAT around the world, I mean, I've had people who were going to the LSAT and they got rear-ended by two teenagers who had stolen a vehicle and didn't know how to drive it and then got out of the vehicle and ran away. I mean, that was, that's obviously not going to happen to very many people, but, yeah. but the fact is, like, you could be going to the test and your grandmother gets ill. You could be going to the test you get ill. I, it just, the... They... they... <laughs> They let you take the test multiple times. Yeah. I mean, it's, for that reason, that's the system. Um, they, 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 they let you. Uh, they, they permit you. They, the system is set up in a way that if you aren't happy with your first score, you're allowed to take it again. Yeah. So why would they discriminate against you for taking advantage, full advantage of that system? Isn't that what lawyers yeah. are basically supposed? To, I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Is advocate? Yeah. 
as strongly as we can for our client, in this case, our client being ourself. And, yeah. you know, your advice to yourself would be, oh, you didn't do your best? Okay, so mm-hmm. does the system permit you to take the test again? Oh, well, then you probably should take yeah. it again. Yeah. Okay, and, uh, you know, last thing is, even if you cancel, a canceled score does show up on your record. Yeah. So it's not like you're getting off completely scot-free. For those of you who really think, like, well, I want my record to reflect that I only took the test once and I did great. No, that's not what your record is going to reflect. Your record is going to reflect that you took the test once and canceled your score. Mm-hmm. I don't think that looks bad. No, not one cancellation. I think two cancels might look bad. Like, why can't you come through? Yeah, and or why don't like why do you keep canceling? I mean, yeah. it's just something about that look I would think might look fishy. We're totally yeah. speculating now. This is maybe a question that we should ask... Um, Anne Levine or some other, uh, someone who's actually been inside um, law school admissions. I think that's uh, probably it for today. What do you think? I think so. It's good. It's been awesome meeting you. We should do this uh, in person some other time if you're ever back or if I'm ever in D.C. Yeah, definitely. You're always welcome. Cool. All right. Great talking to you. Yeah. Oh, um, we should say that uh, if you're interested in the in the content and uh, if, if you like what we've been doing, we would really love for you to support the show uh, by subscribing on iTunes, hitting the five stars. If you want to jot down a little review of uh, what you've learned from the show, that would be awesome. Um, You can also go to thinkinglsat.com and see our show notes, and you can comment, and you can uh, email us, which uh, you can find that information on thinkinglsat.com as well. Okay, and you can contact me directly at nathan at foxlsat.com. And ben at strategyprep.com. Cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot.